Oh, join me in a prayer for a moment, please. Lord God, as we come to this Christmas season, I ask that you would continue to fill our hearts with wonder at what you have done. Not that we would uh, rejoice over these things as if they were the first time that we've heard them, but that you would give us the ability to marvel again and again as we explore the familiar and as we go deeper to try to understand what you've done and why you've done it and how you shocked the world by sending Jesus. Thank you that we don't simply talk about peace and hope and joy as, as vague terms without real promise, but that they are the offspring of bringing Jesus into this world, for you have sent your very best. And because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done, hope and joy and peace are real possibilities that you bring these qualities into our lives because of the presence of Jesus, because of the grace and forgiveness and redemption that we can experience in a personal way. Lord, allow Christmas to become for us not just a holiday season that we go through, but something that is deep and personal, and that is applied to the way that we live and the way that we look at ourselves and the way that we look at our relationship with you. I pray that you will enrich our conversations over the next few days as we gather with family, as we think deeply and as we talk about Jesus, and as the world actually stops for a moment to allow there to be conversation and reflection and song about this wonder that you have done and about Jesus. Enrich this time, enrich this morning together as we gather together to be encouraged, to be reminded, and to grow in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. People who love history and nostalgia love to look back and celebrate some of the great arrivals that have happened in our world. Let me walk you just through a, a few of these great arrivals. Each year here in this part of the country, we look back to 1620 when William Bradford and a group of pilgrims sailed in the original Mayflower and settled in Plymouth. It was a great arrival. On February 9th, 1964, the Pan Am Yankee Clipper Flight 101 brought four young men from Liverpool, known as the Beatles, who landed at New York's Kennedy Airport to the delight of hundreds, uh, hundreds of, and thousands even of screaming fans. It was considered the, the great arrival of the British invasion. We have become accustomed in these years to surprise arrivals of soldiers who've been serving overseas. They unexpectedly get an early leave to come home and then elaborately plan homecomings designed to surprise their spouses and children and friends. Just Google surprise homecomings on YouTube at some point and pretty soon you'll be fighting off the tears as these families are reunited. Then just this past week, people all around the United States celebrated the first days of dis distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine that will roll out over the next several months. Another long-anticipated arrival of something that we've been told about, weren't sure that it was quite possible that it could happen this fast, and then here it is. But the one unexpected arrival that is celebrated more than all of the others is the birth of Jesus that night in the old town of Bethlehem. 
This morning, our topic is an unexpected arrival. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at the announcement to Zechariah, the unexpected inclusion of Mary into the story, and today we focus on the unexpected arrival of Jesus. Our theme this month is our unexpected Christmas. It's a story most of us know well, but we are restoring the awe and wonder of Christmas by exploring the unexpected features of each part of the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth. This Christmas season follows so many unexpected things. We've endured nine months of restrictions and shutdowns, daily virus statistics, working from home, school from home, more Zoom meetings than you ever thought possible, and now we are all entertaining creative approaches to how we will celebrate Christmas. And God's answer to all of the brokenness of this world still centers on the birth of His Son, Jesus. So good morning, friends. I want to welcome you here today. I've enjoyed worshiping with those of you who are here in the North River Worship Center and also with all of you who are participating online. Thank you for diving in and for participating where you are. And let me say thank you to those who have written notes or emails to tell me how these online gatherings have, have met you in that, that point of need during these past several months. We may be spread out, but we are still one North River church. This is a story most of us know well, but we are restoring the awe and wonder of Christmas by exploring again our theme of the unexpected arrival. Let me share with you the main idea that I want to get across this morning. If you listen to nothing else, try to hang on to this one thought. God's timing turns the unexpected into the irreplaceable. That's really what this morning is about. There are three more unexpected factors of Christmas that appear to us in the midst of the story that we read this morning with Riley's help in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. The first is an unexpected trip. In verse 4 it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. The opening line of that verse says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth. There is so much expressed in these few words. Mary had accepted an assignment from the Lord to give birth to God's Son. She had been told of uh, this reality in a visit by the angel Gabriel, who had come as, a, as the personal emissary of the Lord God Himself. And she had questions, yet she fully embraced God's plan. I mentioned last Sunday that perhaps no more courageous words have ever been spoken than Mary's answer to the angel. May it be to me as you have said. Not fully understanding how all this would come about or what the repercussions would be in her life. Mary was from Nazareth, a tiny village. Uh, is a, a ways from Jerusalem, not close at all. Nazareth was located in the Galilean hills, west of the Sea of Galilee, about some 70 miles from Bethlehem, the town where Joseph's ancestors were from. Those who know the walking paths of Israel tell us that they very likely would have had to walk about 90 miles on foot by the time that they got from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. You need to know that Joseph's trip was prompted by a political disruption. 
You and I have been enduring a prolonged season of government decrees and disruptions over the past several months. So maybe we can relate in at least this small way. And so it was with Joseph and Mary. Who travels over difficult roads in the ninth month of pregnancy like this? Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus had ordered a census to be taken of the entire Roman world, so Joseph had to go. Sir William Ramsey once called Luke a first-rate historian, and he noted that Luke's account provides a tremendous amount of historical detail. It told of a Roman census that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Joseph, we are told, was from the house and line of King David, who was also born in Bethlehem. Luke notes that Quirinius was the governor of Syria at that time. Doubts about the timing of whether Quirinius was the governor of Syria when Jesus was born began to arise with a number of historians. And yet more recent historical research now shows that Quirinius served two separate terms as governor in Syria with a gap in between. And despite the doubts of past historians, the current uh, cadre of historians say that this actually lines up perfectly with all of the research and the new data that has been revealed about that time. Egyptian records show that there was a Roman census at the same time that we now pinpoint the birth of Jesus. And it turns out this, this Roman census was for the purpose of taxation, and it took place about every 14 years. That means that this census was primarily about taxes and government regulations. So think about this thought. God used this government-oriented disruption to bring about his plan. Only Luke includes these details about going to Bethlehem to pay taxes among the gospel writers. Whether Mary and Joseph were aware of this or not, the Old Testament prophet Micah had foretold that the ruler of Israel would come from Bethlehem. And Micah included this description, describing the one to be born as, quote, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So who is it who could be born fresh and new in that day, and yet his origins would be of old and from ancient times. It's almost like a riddle in the middle of this prophecy from hundreds of years earlier, and only Jesus could fit that particular designation. Matthew notes that the chief priests and teachers who were summoned by King Herod to tell the wise men from the east where the, the Messiah would be born immediately went to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the verse that I was just quoting to you. So a government edict late in Mary's term of pregnancy led to the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy from hundreds of years earlier that God was about to fulfill. Watch out. Perhaps our God is using government disruptions today to bring about plans that we're not aware of that will yet unfold in our lifetimes as well. So the first unexpected factor is an unexpected trip late in Mary's pregnancy. Here's the second un unexpected factor in this part of the story. An unexpected delivery. The verses 5 through 7 tell us that Joseph went there with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
We all know that the birth of Jesus is the focal point of the Christmas narrative. So what is it unexpected about the birth of Jesus? Well, there are a few things that were unexpected in the way that the story unfolds. We are not told why Joseph brought Mary on this trip. However, we do know a few de- key details in the story that Luke tells us. First, Joseph and Mary were not yet married. Luke specifically tells us that they were still betrothed to each other. Perhaps this means that the angelic visit to Joseph that Matthew records that came in a dream actually came rather late in Mary's term of pregnancy. And we know that there wasn't any reserved room for them to stay here in Bethlehem. It makes it seem like there was a last-minute decision by Joseph to bring Mary along on this dangerous 70 to 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Luke writes this specific phrasing saying there was no guest room available for them. Older translations spoke of no room in the inn. In fact, I had a friend who was a pastor who every year would do this marvelous first-person drama uh, envisioning the innkeeper having to say to Joseph and Mary that there was no place for them and that they, they could only stay in the stable. But here's one of the challenges with that. While modern-day inns didn't exist in that time, there's still a problem with the interpretation of the ancient texts. 400 years ago, when the Bible was being translated into the English language, they misunderstood a key detail in the wording. The custom was for family members to have a room where traveling relatives were always welcome to stay. And so the family would adjust, and that guest room became the place where out-of-towners were always welcome. This was the concept that the King James Bible translators uh, imagined as the inn, but inns and motels weren't commonly uh, a part of the practice at that time in the world. And so most of our more modern translations have been revised to reflect a better interpretation that family members and relatives weren't expecting Joseph and Mary to show up, especially given her condition. And at this particular time, so many relatives from Joseph's extended family had come for this census census that all of the available guest rooms were, were filled up by the time they arrived. So Joseph and Mary slept in the place where they kept the animals. Was it a barn? We don't know for sure. Was it a cave? Some think it might have been, but we don't know that with certainty either. Recent explorations into the tiny homes of that era suggest that the animals were kept in a back room that was attached to the house. Perhaps it was a lean-to, a very rough uh, piece of shelter that nonetheless would allow them to stay out of the rain and have a little bit of warmth. It might have been more like a back shed attached to the house The place where they kept the animals would be the place where Jesus was to be born. Luke simply says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And so we wonder, was it that first night when they arrived? Again, we don't know. Had they stayed in that animal shelter for a few days? It's entirely possible. What Luke tells us is very simple. The time had come. That's an interesting phrase because the Apostle Paul picks up that kind of phrasing in Galatians chapter 4 when he says, when the set time had come, God sent his son. 
as if to remind us that God was in control of all the details despite the government interruptions, despite the family not expecting what was coming, despite this long uh, traveling exercise. The time had come, the right time had come, and God's Son was coming into the world. This delivery was not unexpected by Mary and Joseph. The fact that Mary was due at any time may have been why Joseph brought her with him. Couldn't bear to leave her at home back in Nazareth by herself. Only Joseph's presence was required to pay the census tax for the Romans. Yet how could he leave her at home at that time? But it was unexpected in that Bethlehem and Joseph's family were not prepared for this. However, God's preparations were ready in so many ways. The birth announcements were ready to go. The angelic choir was rehearsing in heaven. Bethlehem's shepherds were preparing for the night shift. The old prophet and prophetess, Simeon and Anna, who would meet Jesus eight days after his birth on the temple steps in Jerusalem, were watching every day for the Messiah. And magi from the east were watching the stars looking for a sign, wondering what God was up to, believing that there was a sign in the stars that revealed that the Savior of the world, a new king, was about to be born. You see, God's timing turns the unexpected into the irreplaceable. And something that Bethlehem was not expecting at all turns into the event that you and I still marvel over and would be in trouble if we had to live without. And then there's a third unexpected factor here in Luke 2. Unexpected heralds. Verse 15 says, When the angels had left them, the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and Mary and Joseph, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The first heralds of this great good news were the angels. First, one angel who announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds. He told them of good news of great joy. I don't know about you, but I have long been delighted by that particular phrase. We never hear these words put together in any other description for any other reason other than the announcement about the arrival of Jesus. It is so unique to Luke's gospel. For Christians, this phrase always hearkens us back to the birth of Jesus. And so we sing this hymn every year, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They were the first heralds who were declaring the news of what God had done through Jesus. John Wesley and George Whitfield wrote the lyrics to that wonderful old Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and they're the ones in 1739 who applied that world, that word of the heralds of this event. As if the shepherds were not already startled enough, the heavenly host then joins in with that original angel who makes the announcement. Luke only tells us what the heavenly host proclaimed. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. 
But this reminds us of how choirs sing a message with precise timing and rhythm. And so people through the ages have wondered if they were singing in that sky or whether they were all shouting in unison. Again, we don't know. Perhaps they sang these words. Perhaps the words are so wonderful that they make us think of music in a time like this. And then something unique happened. The shepherds themselves became heralds as well. It says that they hurried down to Bethlehem to see Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And they found them, just as the angel had told them they would. Then they instinctively spread the news throughout the town, even though it was the middle of the night. Now think about it. Can you imagine that scene? There are loud, excited shepherds running through the streets of this sleepy little town of Bethlehem at at a ridiculously early hour, shouting that the Savior had been born. We've seen the Messiah. He's been born. The, The Christ has come. And people are probably wondering what on earth is happening. They can't flick on the lights. They've got to light candles to see what's happening back at that time. And they're probably yelling out the windows, shut up, you fools. It's the middle of the night. We were sleeping. But the joy within them was so rich and so filled with wonder that they could not contain it. They had to tell somebody else. And it was instinctive. And then we discover that people were listening. Luke writes that all who heard it were amazed. For me, those are some of the most wonderful words in this part of the gospel account. I expect fully that people were slamming their windows shut. They were ready to call the police on these crazy shepherds who were running around the town. But instead, in the middle of the night, they were amazed at what they were hearing. And they began the process of that wonder that you and I experience every year when we allow ourselves to dive more deeply into this story and to realize that this wasn't just a tradition that God was at work doing something that was new and vital and important and earth-shaking. This is how some artists have imagined this scene with the shepherds and the angels in years past. Uh, The slide you're looking at right now was a piece of artwork by Bartolome Esteban Murillo done about 1660. The next slide uh, was an artwork done by Gerard von Honthorst in 1622. And he depicts light coming from the child, if you notice it carefully. This particular artist is envisioning some of the light of the world that the Gospel of John talks about, emanating from Jesus the baby and beginning to illuminate upward toward the shepherds and the family. And then we have one more. I'm not sure how this one slipped in here, but we had some staff members who were trying to uh, anticipate what the angels might have looked like earlier this week at our staff Christmas party, and I just kind of thought it fit uh, with all the artwork here. We continue with this narrative when we become Christmas heralds today, unexpected heralds of the story. Here's the need. Our culture has this amazing way of packaging Christmas. So if you have a tree, if you send some cards, if you give a few gifts to family, then you have Christmas. And yet the closer we look at it, Christmas is so much more than just going through the perfunctory things that everyone expects. Christmas is God's good news to the world 
that there is a Redeemer who has come, who brings freedom from all that enslaves us, who brings freedom from our sins and addictions and destructive patterns in this world. Christmas is God's good news of liberation from being left out, that all are invited to discover the Son of God who was laid in a manger. No matter where we have started, no matter what our background, no matter what the story of our lives has been up to that point, we are all welcomed into the story if we will only embrace Jesus. We don't have to run around the streets of Bethlehem or Pembroke or Duxbury or whatever other town you come from. We don't have to sing about Jesus at 3 o'clock in the morning. But every time we share with someone else why we have faith in Jesus and how that faith carries us through hard times, we become heralds of hope, joy, and peace that come from standing in the grace of our Savior. The kind of grace, the kind of joy, the kind of peace that still transforms our existence today. So let me ask the question that we've been asking around here for the past year. Who's your one? Who's the one person God has put deeply on your heart that you pray for and that you hope to share the news of God's grace with? What kind of conversation will you have this year about how you are experiencing Jesus? About what Christmas means to you this year that goes beyond just tradition? God's timing turns the unexpected into the irreplaceable. Good things happen when we embrace that particular idea that God's timing turns the unexpected into the irreplaceable. We see that happen with Jesus where his unexpected birth leads to something that becomes so vital and important to us that literally changes the way that we look at life. And that continues to happen for people today. This week I read a story that came from Prison Fellowship about a woman named Belinda. She was 17 when her dad went to prison near San Diego, California. While dad went off to prison, mom was juggling two jobs and three kids and finances were incredibly tight. Belinda was in her senior year of high school and hoping to go to college but wondering if she would have to skip all of that because all of the pieces just wouldn't come together. Then her dad was moved to a prison farther away just to make things a bit more difficult so their visits were fewer and harder. And then her dad got involved in a prison fellowship Bible study in that new prison. Through the Bible study, dad came to know Jesus Christ and he urged the family to find a church and to begin to attend church services. The church they found was known as Shadow Mountain Community Church. It's where David Jeremiah is the pastor, a very well-known writer and, and, and author. One day, the dad heard about an angel tree program through Prison Fellowship, and he signed up. He knew that his kids were experiencing rejection and that he couldn't be there for Christmas. When, her mom, when, the, when the kid's mom heard about the gifts that they would receive, she saw them as charity gifts, and she wanted no part of it. So initially, she turned down the offer. But then she learned that the kids would actually receive these gifts in the name of their dad. And that Prison Fellowship's Angel Tree program mobilizes churches to give gifts for these incarcerated parents. She realized that this would actually help her kids lift away some of that rejection they'd been experiencing. This is the same kind of program that we have been participating in year after year here at North River and that many of you have bought gifts for. And then one day, the gifts came. Volunteers from Shadow Mountain Church showed up at their home with these Christmas gifts, 
lacrosse sticks for the girls, lemony sickets books for their little brother, and then each one was given a Bible, the first Bible that they had ever owned that they could call their own. Belinda's dad grew deeper and deeper in faith during his time in prison, and their entire family ended up putting their faith in Jesus because they saw the transformation that was going on in their dad's life even while he was still in prison. When he finished his sentence, people from the church helped him find a job. Today, he actually works as a youth pastor. Belinda writes this story 15 years later, looking backward. Today, she lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, and she works as a marriage and family therapist. But she's passionate about volunteering with the Angel Tree program through her church in D.C. Why? God's timing turns the unexpected into the irreplaceable, and he does this over and over and over in our lives when we put our faith in Jesus and in the God who loves people so much, they would, he would give the very best that he had and bring him into this crazy world of disruptions that we live in. I have a question for you. As you consider your life and where you're at and how you are coming through this entire season, have you come to the point of believing that it's time for new management in your life? Is it time for you to turn your life and the direction of it over to Jesus? You can do that through a simple decision and a prayer. And if you want to, if you want to experience Jesus in a deeper way at Christmas time, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I am struggling and I need your help. Today I acknowledge that you came into the world to redeem lives like mine. Please come into my life. Forgive my sins, heal my mind, and change the trajectory of my life. I commit to follow you and to learn your ways and to live by your instructions one day at a time. Lord, I pray that you will hear the prayer of those who are praying a simple prayer like this today, for there are many who, who know of you in the traditional way, but have never fully experienced Jesus in a personal way. And so I ask that you would draw near to each of us. Enrich this season. Fill our minds with awe at who you are. Fill our presence with the knowledge that you claim those who put faith in you as your own children, and you walk with us through life. And you whisper to us in the quiet moments. And when we read scripture, you allow little nuggets of truth to break through into our understanding that begin to shape the way that we live and the values that we live by and the love that forms in our hearts. I pray this Christmas season that you will allow us not just to go through the traditions, but to experience in a new way the powerful, life-changing love of Jesus and the forgiveness of the Savior that turns us into unexpected heralds wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, that your timing turns the unexpected into the irreplaceable. And we ask that you would do that again. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thanks for being with us here today and celebrating with us. I look forward to seeing you again on Christmas Eve in one of our services, whether that's here or online. Thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for being a part of what we've been doing all year long. God bless.